You know, we are in a series called Without Apology. And we're walking through why the Word of God. Like, why does it say preach the Word of God in season and out of season? Be ready. Why do we lift this up as our authority? That's what we're working through over a six-week period of time. We're a couple weeks in. And i got to tell you, we have had a number of people coming to us with different little testimony pieces. Things like... I haven't really known what I should get into, and whenever I do get into the Bible, I chop off too much, and then I get myself frustrated, and so I end up stopping reading, or or I wasn't sure what I should start reading this year, and so I was praying for God to give me an answer, and or, you know, hey, I've been wrestling with this sin struggle and this relationship struggle in my life, and I got to tell you, I was going down a path that was pretty bad, and, and then I started reading this 30-day challenge thing and going verse by verse, and all of a sudden I went, oh, I'm in the wrong spot, and I need to make some changes, and this is like repeated what we're having happen. God is working. Amen. God is working in this body. When we as a body commit to reading his word regularly and to saying, Lord, may it come to life before my eyes. He does not leave us wanting. That's where we're at. Lots of testimonies of life change. Lots of people being rocked. This word on fire in our lives. Today, I'm going to answer this question. So what's it good for? Like, that's great. We can read the Bible. I might even feel good about myself because I can actually go home saying, I'm doing those things I feel like I need to do. I'm not even exactly sure what I should get out of it, but I am doing it. And so let's make sure we clearly answer. What should we be getting out of scripture? What's it good for? That's what we're going to be answering today from uh, Psalm 19. We've got the ushers coming forward and they're going to have some Bibles in their hands. If you need the Bible, just raise your hand. We'll uh, get one to you there. Okay. Just raise your hands. and We'll get a Bible to you. Psalm 19. Okay. So we're just going to walk through the whole of the chapter. If you notice, we read this on Friday, the whole of it. But the first six verses, we're going to move through a little bit quickly. Uh, we had actually already preached on that this last summer uh, in a none greater series is what it was called. So if you want to hear a sermon on verses one through six in depth, none greater. We were talking about who God is and the character of God and how we can meet him in creation. And that was this last June. So if you want to hear that series, you can certainly get that off the web. Um, did you know we have our sermons up on the web? We do. So you can actually go under this resources, messages, and you can get any one of our messages for the last several years, okay? So uh, in detail, you can get that. But let's just dive in here. What's it good for? First point. Head. Know the word. It is God's special revealing of himself and gives life-changing direction. The head. Know the word. It is God's special revealing of himself and gives life changing direction to inform the head that's one piece of scripture okay that's one value of scripture let's just start we'll start in verse one i'm just going to walk real quickly so we get a context here and then we're going to jump to verse seven notice what it starts with in chapter 19 verse one david writing the heavens declare the glory of god and the sky above proclaims his handiwork the heavens and the skies they're informing us of some things about God, his glory and his handiwork, his abilities. Notice the word God there. In the Hebrew, when you look in the Old Testament and you see the word God, that means the word El was used, E-L, okay? It's a word that is kind of like the general title for the one who would be in charge of the universe. You know what I mean? Like, what would his business card say? El, okay? Like, God. So this is using his general business title. You want to know about the one who's in charge of everything? Take a look up. Take a look around. Look at nature. You'll be blown away with what's going on. 
It actually ties well with like Romans chapter one, where, you know, we're told that we can learn about God. We can learn pieces of him, his eternal nature, his, his divine power. You can learn about these aspects of him. This everything came from something and think about vast and how awesome that something must be. And it's talking about looking at creation and getting an obvious understanding of pieces of God, not necessarily a personal relationship with God. But you can certainly see his creativity and his vastness and his power and his eternal nature. Something had to come from this and the something came from something from something and there had to be an original something and welcome to the eternal nature of God, right? So the first six verses are actually sort of a, a description, if you will, using the systematic theology term of general revelation, a revealing of God in a general way. That's verses one through six, okay? Verse seven though, gear shifts. This is starting to become special revelation now. A specific revealing of God and his character. A very detailed understanding and introduction to who he is. We're moving from general to special. Verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Now notice it says, The law of the Lord. No longer the word God. Now we have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, Yahweh. The the word in Hebrew that means I am, the very personal name of God is now attached to this detail list. Now we can personally know him. Now we can actually find out more than just something about his power and his nature, but we can find out details of his character and of his passions, of his wants, of his likes, his dislikes, of his direction, of his hand in your life. Special revealing of God through his word. It says the law of the Lord. In the Hebrew, it's the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. David was pouring over those books and saying, it's amazing what I can learn of you, God. Look how awesome you are. And that was just the first five books. And now we stand centuries and centuries later holding on to that much more that's revealed of him. And we can surely say the following things of all of scripture. Notice it says that it is perfect you know, blameless, absolutely nothing wrong, completely right. And that's reviving the soul, reviving the soul. Think of that word revive. You get a picture in your head. It probably has something to do with something that died and you're like CPR on it or something like that, right? You're like trying to bring it back to life. It had life. Now it doesn't have life. And I'm reviving it. You know, the re, like bringing it back again. There's got to be life in this thing again. And as I get into your word, as I learn of you, and as I see how perfect you are, I'm actually getting life breathed into me. I'm actually gaining some excitement and some passion and some warmth to who you are. You know, uh, William Butler Yeats, a poet and a writer, he was talking about learning and education. And he said, education is not the filling of a pail, but it's the lighting of a fire. Think about that for a second. Education, it's not the filling of a pail, but it's the lighting of a fire. That's the role of scripture. It's not to fill your head, Right? Our goal is not to try to be able to pass some kind of Bible Jeopardy game, right? Uh, which king was the first to, eh, oh, I got that one, right? It's, it's not about Bible knowledge. 
It's about actually being lit up, excited, on fire for not just knowing it, but having that be able to change you, lead you in the right direction, shape you. May you actually know and be altered. Lord, may your fire be lit in me. May I learn and may I grow. So we're not just trying to be a bunch of Bible fatheads, right? Amen? Okay, need a big amen on that one. Like what we're really not going after is just a bunch of Bible facts. That's what makes us sterile and cold to the information. It's nothing but info to be regurgitated. But when it's life-altering, you'll cling to it with all you've got. It revives the soul because it brings that life-altering truth. Next. Now, it's kind of poetic here, so it's a number of names for different ways to look at Scripture. First was the law of the Lord. Next, the testimony of the Lord. You know, that thing that would actually tell truth about who he is. When somebody gives testimony, they're sharing a, oh, I met him. He was like this. He did this. He was thinking this way. He acted this way. He, we get a sort of a storyline of the very personality of God. The testimony of the Lord, which we find in Scripture, is sure, completely to be counted on. Making wise the simple. What's it good for? Well, as you study the wise one, you will become wise as he transforms you. As you learn of his character and as you grow to be more like him, you will be, well, more like him. And so as he is wise, you'll become more wise. It's not I become more wise because I gained facts. That would be a misunderstanding. That's back to right education is just filling the pail. It's I became wise because I've learned and I've let God touch my heart and my heart is being transformed and it's just spilling out from within me. Now I've got wisdom. Do you see the difference? It's not fact. It's life alteration. That's what we're going for. It says the precepts of the Lord are right. The precepts of the Lord. This is another word for like principles, the guideline, the way he works, the basic rules and setup of life that he has put in place. The precepts of the Lord of Yahweh, our great I am, are, well, they're right. They're, they're not wrong. Like when I read scripture and I get some guidelines and I understand which way he's going and I see what he's trying to accomplish, they're literally going to accurately lead me to where I need to go. Let God's word lead. That's what we need to be doing. They're right. And notice what it says here. I love this. In the ESV, it says, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing. It's not often we use that word as something we do upon something else, right? Rejoicing. Like, I'm going to make your heart rejoice. As we find true leading, as we literally find our way from one point in life where we feel ourselves somewhat lost, or questioning, or, or looking for that, and then we find the way to walk through it, and we find his precepts, his guidelines, his principles to adhere to, at the end of that, there is celebration as we lift up and go, it is unbelievable what God's done for me. Look at how he's led me, maybe just through this last day, or this last week, or this last year, or this last couple of years, or look what God's doing. His precepts, they're rocking my world. I have literally found a way to navigate through the ugly of this world and stay close to my almighty Savior. Praise be to God. That's what it means to make rejoicing the heart. This rejoicing of the heart. You having celebration. 
satisfaction, extreme elation. Then it says, the commandment of the Lord is pure. The commandment. So we're getting down into the law and it's those specific pieces of thou shalt and thou shalt not. Those things, there's not one living thing wrong with it. In fact, pure, it's sort of tied to the word holy. There is holiness that comes in the very words of God and the commandments of God. And when he says, do this, it will lead to holiness. That is a definition of holiness at its best. God saying that's what he wants done. Pure. What's it good for? Uh, I get a really clear direction on what I need to have in my life and what I need to have out. In other words, it enlightens the eyes. Enlightening the eyes. It's the aha experience. It's the, I'm completely wrestling with, I don't know how to respond to a person when they've done such and such to me or when such and such was said or when this scenario blew up and God, what do I do? And all of a sudden you just pick up whatever tool you happen to be using and he's lined up everything in your life so that that tool brings you right to the right passage just as this circumstance is happening and you open up the word and bam, like right there, it's telling you what you need to be doing. Whether it be talking about forgiveness or trust or hope or lack of fear in things of this world, but fearing him or whatever it is that's leading you. And all of a sudden you go, surely God is alive and he's working in me. You, you get to say the word, oh, that's where I need to head. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had one of those where you're reading the word and you're wrestling and you actually get, to, you go, oh, that's right. That's what I've been missing. I've been off the whole time. The, oh, try it with me. Oh, bigger. Ready? Oh, we need those all the time. Amen. Like if we're not getting that, what are we really reading for? We're not reading for guidance. We're not reading to get things. We're reading like for the fat head again. Yeah, I knew that. Right? Why read that? I, I read second Corinthians before, maybe three times. Why do I need to read that again? I already know. Right? Instead, we go into it and it's, Lord, use it to remind me. Lord, use it to shape me. Lord, I want the, oh, yes, that experience today. What do I need from you? Go with expectation that it's good for the soul, for the mind, for the heart, for the eyes. Are you seeing what the author's doing? He's talking about all the parts of you that are going to be benefited by this word. And then he says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Clean, like washed. The junk that was on you is flushed off. Like a really good power shower. Not one of those where you get in the shower and you turn it on and it's just kind of dribbling out. And you feel like you're kind of scrubbing your hair and the shampoo's stuck in it. Not like that. Like the water is pouring out on you. It is pushing off all soap, all junk, all crud. And you are left clean washed. That's where we get to stand with them. The fear of the Lord is clean and that lasts forever. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Just combine those two together, the fear and the rules. Like, Lord, what does it mean to fear you? And what do I do with these rules? And how does it not just become a checklist? How do I get away from this legalism where I actually keep a passion for you? And, you know, fear the Lord. Here's a definition I put down for it. Uh, filled with awe, a shrinking self, and a growing view of God. That's a fear of the Lord. Filled with awe, a shrinking view of self, and a growing view of the Lord. 
as I look at God and as I understand who he is and as I understand who I'm not, I begin to see me getting like this and I'm seeing God grow like this. And all of a sudden we have that Isaiah six experience, right? Where he drops to his knees and he says, woe is me for I am undone shrinking view of self, right? Lord, send me wherever you want me. I am yours growing view of God. Truly he has entered the presence of the almighty. As we sang the song here today, worthy is the lamb. We're told in revelation that's going on now. Like they're celebrating his name and they're constantly lifting it up. Can you imagine the tingling you're going to sense first time in heaven when that thing breaks out and you're standing there and you're hearing this worthy is the lamb ripping through. We can experience a piece of that as we meet him in his word and as we wrestle with things and let him touch us at the very core of who we are. I want to be rocked for you, Lord, not just in heaven. But here, I want to meet you in your word. I'm expecting to meet you in your word. And I'm expecting for you to just wash over me, to adjust in me, to teach me, not just fill my fat head, but teach me, train me to literally go after you. That's what I'm going after. May your word come to life as I meet you, the almighty. Amen. That's the power of the word. What's it good for? It's good for your soul. It's good for your mind. It's good for your heart. It's good for your eyes. It's good for all of you, for all of eternity. It's good, as it says at the end there, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Absolutely 100% good. Embrace it. It's on your bookshelf daily. It's in your hand to go after. Let's go after it with all we've got. There was a lawyer who was asked with all the books on his bookshelf. So what one book would you call the greatest? His answer. Were you to ask me to recommend the most valuable book in the world? Well, I should fix on the Bible as the most instructive truth to both the wise and the ignorant. Were you to ask me for one affording the most rational and pleasing sense to the inquiring mind? Well, I should repeat, it's the Bible. I would make it, in short, the alpha and the omega of all knowledge for you, if you want real joy. Elias Budno, a lawyer in the 1800s, who studied and studied and studied, but he also studied with an open heart towards the Lord and was on fire for the power of the word. May we be that. When we have a choice of one book, we don't say, well, I know my answer should be the Bible. But instead we say, oh, my answer is the word of God. It's lit me up. This year has changed me like no other year. I would never want it other than that. May that book be my central book of all. God's very special revealing of himself to me. Lord, light me up. Change me to be more like you. Use your word. Application. Well, maybe we should spend time in it. Go after it. Hey, if you're not in the 30-day challenge with us, dive in right now. It's not too late. Quite frankly, we've made them small paragraphs each day to be going through so that it's not too much and we can wrestle with each day. You could probably catch up today after the Bears game. I know that's important, (laughs) right? But jump in, catch on, catch up with us. 
It's just a couple chapters in on 2 Corinthians and we're going after it. Join with us. You know, Psalm 119. Have you guys been reading with us? Did you notice in Psalm 119 that there's these little phrases above each paragraph, like Aleph, and then da-da-da-da-da, and then it looks like it says Beth, but it actually is pronounced Beit in the Hebrew, okay? And then Gimel and Dalit, and what is that? That's the Hebrew alphabet. That's what that is, okay? And so Psalm 119 is broken down into the Hebrew alphabet, and each section sits underneath a letter. And that, that whole section, every single verse starts with that letter. Okay, so they're all, it's like starting all with A's, then all with B's in the next section, then all with C's in the next section. That's how the verses start out. doesn't translate into the English, right? That's the problem with translating poetry. You lose some of those pieces. But I'll tell you this, if you know that as you're looking at it, what's the author trying to say? He's trying to say from the first letter of our alphabet to, to the last letter of our alphabet to everything in between, the word of God rocks. That's Psalm 119. Okay, that's what's going on. That's why we're reading pieces of Psalm 119 each day. So take a look at it. And the next time you're in it, you go, oh, look, it's another Hebrew letter that I have no idea what the name of it means, right? But then every one of those starts with that letter. And what's God trying to say today that's collectively true about the word? That's Psalm 119. Trying to say basically the same thing the lawyer said. If there was one thing you had to choose, in short, the alpha and the omega of all knowledge. That would be the word of God. Go after the word with all you have. Start with us right now. And for those who are already on the journey with us, keep going. Like week three now, right? You know, 30 days makes a habit, right? You've heard that phrase. So like we're through week two and little bits of habit are getting started and you found that rhythm. Like, oh, it doesn't work at this time, but it does work at this time. And if I do it here, and then if I do it here, I doesn't seem to do it that day. And so I'm not doing that anymore, right? So find that spot in time where it works for you and get consistent And go after it. And let's really keep reading his word with expectation that it'll inform the head. That we can know the truth of who he is. And have grasped understanding of the special revealing of our God. Expect your life to be rocked as he informs. Okay, second point. The heart. Desire the word. There is nothing on earth like it. Desire the word. There is nothing on earth like it. Notice now, he just got done listing off all these different ways of thinking about the word. Now in verse 10, we get to, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Desire it. More to be desired are they than gold. He's saying, think of the most rich, precious thing you can think of. Got it? Okay, it's gold. If it's not gold, think bigger, right? Okay, so now that you have gold in mind, it's better than that. You want it more than that. Hunger for it as the richest thing available on this earth. Want the truth of God's word more than money. Right? We're told you can't serve both God and money. Make your choice. You're going to have just an idol or you're going to have the living God of the universe shaping and working in your life. Go after him with all you've got. The word of God being that cabinet, that that portal that will change your life. More to be desired than gold, even much fine gold. Ooh, that sounds nice, right? Much fine gold. Well, even more than that. Even much fine gold. Even a lot stacked up in the room. Even the entire world's supply of gold. Want this more. 
Because this gives you the absolute insight to the Almighty and His life-changing truth for you. There is joy and there is richness and there is satisfaction with Him and, and with gold while there's stuff. Want Him, not just stuff. Now notice he says, sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Just imagine the most tasty food you can think of. And, and, and when you picture it, just when it touches your mouth, you know how the taste just bursts. I'm going to have problems with this at 11 o'clock. Okay. When it just bursts into your mouth and you, your whole mouth just fills up. You know what I'm talking about? And you just start salivating as you picture that food and the, and the sweetness or the maybe it's a spice thing that you like. And as it touches your mouth and it just causes this overwhelming set of sensations in the mouth that make you say, that's good, right? That kind of feeling, he's saying, better than that. Makes you make make sure you want it more than that. When we get that sense, when we you know, when somebody walks past and we just catch an odor of it, we start already salivating. Our mind has run ahead and went, if I had that, you know what I mean? And you just picture biting in, be that with the word. As you begin to hear the opportunity of being near it, as you begin to think about the basic chance of possibly meeting the Almighty and having Him change you from the inside out, may it just be like an odor that comes past and causes you to just instantly salivate. And you hunger for it and you want that and you desire it with all you've got. A lot of celebration on that one. (laughs) They're very timely. Have you noticed that? It works out well. All right. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There is great value, not just to desiring it, but to the change that comes from it. Long for it because it will help you to be warned. It'll give you guidelines. Long for it because it'll also provide for you great reward. If you follow along the way there, you will be tracking with him. What a great opportunity to actually experience the tasting and the smelling and the desiring of the Almighty. Hunger for what fulfills. Maybe here's the best way to say it. Take whatever you can think of on earth and then set it aside and desire what can be considered matchless. Nothing like it. The incomparable Go for it. Grab what cannot be grabbed in any other way on earth, but is available to you right here. And long for that with all you've got. You know, all too often we say, well, I want to long for that. I just don't. Now what do I do? I can tell you this. Our longing and our desire for the word. You know, we teach this a lot more in biblical counseling. Don't start with the feelings and then make your actions follow your feelings. Right? It's right thinking which comes from, we already talked about it, our head getting informed. Get in the word. Right thinking leads to right actions. Follow through. Do what it says. Lord, what do you have for me here? And that obedient following through. Right thinking leads to right actions. Right actions leads to right feelings. The desire comes. It's a growing, building desire that comes through obedience. Okay? Are you hearing that? Desire. Well, how come I don't desire it right now? Start on the right path. God will build it in. Go after this with all you've got. I'm telling you, right thinking will lead to right actions. Right actions will lead to right feelings that desire will build. Spend time, like maybe 30 days. 
There's a reason why we did that. Okay. Get some time in the word where you're just faithfully going after it and saying, Lord, help me build a desire. I want to long for this. And where I don't help that to go away. And I want more of you. Just help me there, Lord. Pray for it and go after it and watch the desire build. C.S. Lewis. This is his statement about our desires. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy has just been offered to us. We are far too easily pleased. Let that settle. We've literally been given the chance to taste of the matchless taste of the Almighty God. To know him at a depth and to know him in a personal way that will so rock your world that absolutely nothing else can bring equivalent joy. And we say, thanks anyway, I've got pizza over here. Right? Don't we? I mean, literally, we salivate on pizza. We salivate on stuff and we just walk away and say, good enough. Wow. I think C.S. Lewis hit it on the head. We need to have much higher expectations for our desire. We need our desire to live on top shelf desire, not bottom shelf desire. It's sort of like somebody coming up to you and saying, hey, I'll take you out to dinner. It's on me. Uh, you want to go to McDonald's or Longhorn Steakhouse? Oh, McDonald's is fine, right? Why would you do that? Even if you get a salad, go to Longhorn, right? What are you doing? Live top shelf, man. It was an offer, right? That's what's happening. We have somebody coming in and offering top shelf experience. And we're like, that's okay. I got McDonald's, right? No slam against McDonald's. For those of you who love McDonald's, it's a great place. I eat there too, but okay. But really in the end, it's low bar versus high bar. Are we getting the grasp of the whole of what we have offered to us? Usually not. Usually what we see ahead of us makes us so salivate that we just lock in on that and our desire is good there. But our salivation needs to be on something much higher, much bigger. We literally need to be hungering for the very God of the universe and looking to find him in his word. Desire him with all you've got. Let the word stir you. That's my request. As you go in, don't go in to try to knock out a five-minute reading and say, got that done, now I can get on with my job, whatever I have to do today. But literally go in saying, Lord, I want to learn something that stirs the head, informs the head, and I want my heart to be stirred as well. Lord, stir a passion. Somewhere in this is something I need to know more about you and more about how to run after you. I just want to be stirred a little. And it's not about running after the feelings. I just want the whole of me bought into this. I'm going after you. Lord, may that be true today. As you go after the word, do that. My request to you would be this. You know, putting the first two together, inform the head and stir the heart. The best way to do it, you know, we talked about this. You're going to hear the word, right? O-P-A. And what does that spell? All right. That's what we go after is Opa, right? It's observation. What, what, what was going on back then? What, what were some big words they used that seemed a lot of adjectives? What were those adjectives or what did I notice about those nouns or what's going on with those verbs and what, what would they have thought of this in their world? And then, so what's the timeless principle? P, right? So the O and then the P. What is that timeless God principle that I can grab onto? And now I've grabbed a precept of God Almighty. And right, we just heard about precepts, these principles and guidelines we can live by. And, and so now, Lord, how do I apply that into my life? And we can end up saying, Opa, 
or we end up doing the, oh, yes, that's where I'm, now I got it. God changing me as I find him in his word. Take the steps. Don't shortcut it. Take the steps. Talking to my wife this week, she made a really good point. She's like, you know, by the end of a week, you got five different applications. Uh, it'd be pretty easy for me to forget Monday's app when I'm sitting on Saturday and I just had a Thursday and a Friday and I'm wrestling with those. It could be really, really helpful to just write it down. It's just a couple of lines you're writing down, but then you can look back and say, here's the five applicational challenges I had this week. How am I doing, Lord, with giving these to you? Ah, you're working with me. You're wrestling with me. I'm getting it more. It really does help to have a little bit of diligence as we go after his word. It creates a desire and it informs the head. We've got this awesome package deal, the OPA experience coming in, okay? Third, the will. Apply the word to your life, it will glorify God. Apply the word to your life, it will glorify God. Notice in verse 12, it says, Who can discern his errors? Do you know what that means? Like, we all have blind spots. That's what it's saying. Did you know that you're messing up and you don't even know it? That's what he's saying. Did you know that you think you've got your act together? And you don't. That's what he's saying, right? Who can discern his errors? Come on, none of us is perfect. We all have our sticking points. I've got mine. What's yours? That's what he's saying. It's a very biblical position. We're wrestling with our stuff. And in order to know our stuff, we need to have some breakthrough other than self. The breakthrough is his word coming to us. It says, declare me innocent from your hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Lord, may my time with you, may basking in your glory, may finding you true and alive, simply pouring over me, change me. And as I am able to give up the junk of self and step away from it, may I stay away from it. Help me to get away and then keep me back from it. I don't want to ever be there again. Lord, help me break through some of these sin barriers for your glory, not for my honor. Not a, see how much I've accomplished? Look at how much sin I've given up. Not that. It's to God be the glory. The uncommon is occurring in my life. God is working in me like you wouldn't believe. Notice he says here, presumptuous sin. What is sin? I mean, we've talked about it a bunch of different ways. I thought maybe we could come up with a fresh definition today to think of it a little differently. Here was one way of looking at it. Sin. It's when you desperately fulfill your needs without God. Let that settle. It's when you desperately fulfill what's going on, but you shortcut It's a without God answer. Whatever it is I'm longing for, I'm going to get it done. Thanks anyway, I got it covered. And so whatever it is we go to ends up becoming what you'd call an idol, right? That thing that replaces God at the center of you. It's fulfilling the needs within you without God being considered. And and it could be that it's sort of a natural fulfilling, right? If you've got a desire in a certain area, you just tend to go after that in the wrong way. And you go around some of the principles and precepts he's got. It could be the desire itself needs to be killed because it alone is self-absorbed and needs to go. The problem is we all too often just say, I want it, so I'm going to get it. It's going to fulfill, it's going to be fulfilled in my life, right? I desire it, so that's enough. And that's back to, 
where my feelings are, my actions will follow. And that's train wreck time. We need to make sure that we set that aside and say, Lord, it isn't about what I desire if that's going apart from you. It's about what you desire. And so I'm coming under you. Change my desires to match your desires. But right now, it's what right thinking leads to right actions. Right actions will eventually lead to the right desires. Lord, just shape me as I follow you. May the presumptuous sin, you know, like, I'm worth it. He might not be. Maybe it was wrong for him, but not for me. I get to go after it. I'm going after the stuff that feels good. Thank you. And then we're into presumptuous sin. Keep me back from that, Lord. Keep my eyes open to what I need to see. And then at the end here, he says that I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. We have a purifying God. We have a forgiving God. We have a God of relationship. And when we come to him and we say, Lord, please forgive me. I was wrong for, he doesn't say, just hang on a few minutes. That one hurt a little bit. You step aside. I'll get back to you. And then he hangs around. I can't believe nerve of him thinking he can just come back and say, sorry. Right. Is that God? We have a God who instantly, as, as we come to him, we say, Lord, please forgive me. He says, you got it. We are right there. It is done. And he wants to come in and clean up and bring us forward. We have an immediately forgiving God. Why is that? Because he is love. And he's reaching out to us with all he has. And if that's our God, how much more should we be modeling that in our lives? Saying, this is the God I've met. So how are you doing with that person you're struggling with or that? friend or that family member or that co-worker and we're like wow god might be eternally forgiving but let me tell you that's not where i am right and we're like isn't that presumptuous sin right isn't that when we start saying it's not that good enough for god but it's good enough for me like that that's where we have to be careful we're putting ourselves in spots that don't mirror the very character of god set it aside be washed clean be forgiven and embraced by the almighty Notice he says here at the end, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. There's so many words that jump out in this. Words and meditations, right? Whatever's on my lips, whatever's in my brain. All the stuff going on inside and pouring out of the outside. Just may all of it be a blessing to you, Lord. Rock, redeemer. Like somebody I can trust in, somebody who's helping me. But more than just rock, redeemer. My rock, my redeemer, I have personally met you and you are altering my life. And I hand you the reins to my heart. Lord, may I be changed that you might be glorified. May I simply be changing in such a way that I so show you off that others can't help but go, God must be working in that guy's life. I've never seen him so different. The uncommon going on to where God is truly being shown off. That's our game plan. Lord, may your word so rock me and so change me. But may I be so much more like you tomorrow than I am today that people just keep going, God is big for you to look like that. That's what needs to be going on. God being glorified. As we change, you know, let me just say this Psalm 19, seven through 14. This is like, these are my life verses. Did you know that inform the head, stir the heart, challenge the will every week when I sit down to build a message and I'm wrestling through a passage of scripture 
And I come up with a couple of points, right? And those points are actually the principles that you find in that part of the passage, right? So O-P-A, we're pulling the principles out, right? So you're seeing those principles named. And then we walk through the pieces of the scripture expositing, just what does it say word by word and phrase by phrase? You're getting the observation element coming out, right? And then at the end of each point, we're saying, so, so what are you going to do about it, right? Application, opa, every single point, every single week. So what we're doing here on Sunday mornings. So what we're asking for you to do Monday through Friday as you read. Maybe say it this way. Informing the head. Just what do I see in the passage and what's going on? And then stirring the heart. Lord, what desires do I need to have within? And what, what needs to change in me? And I want to long for you. And, and you know what? When I'm preaching, I end up informing as we do the expositing and then stirring as we go through an illustration or a story of something going on and our heart gets passionately involved with it and then challenge the will. So so what are we going to do about it? It is the model for how we're handling scripture around here. Psalm 19, 7 through 14. Lord, inform my head, stir my heart, challenge my will. I want to be rocked today so that I look more like you tomorrow. May you be glorified in my life. Let's pray.